Well, friends, for most American families, no sooner than the Thanksgiving dishes are all cleaned up and put away, than all of the boxes of the Christmas lights come out. Family, it's a fascinating fact that each year, more than 150 million light sets are purchased by Americans. And it's estimated that more than 80 million homes across America will be decorated with some kind of light display this year. Now, of course, some people really get into this. Some people really go all out with all of the LED lights and the uh, technological wizardry and the, and the matching music with the blinking lights. But, you know, just as many people are content to make do with their own homemade lights. Just this week, I was sharing a favorite story with my mom on the phone. We were reminiscing about a Christmas many, many years ago when I was just a boy. My dad, Jerry, had this idea of, of making a huge Christmas star that he wanted to hang on the front of our garage. Now, many of you know that for many years, my dad was in the heating and the air conditioning trade. So he went to his co-workers, these sheet metal fabricators out in the shop, and my dad told them that he wanted to make this giant shadow box made out of sheet metal. It was going to be this giant sheet metal enclosed box with a, with a Christmas star uh, carved in the front of it. And this box was designed to be about five feet uh, high by about three feet wide, maybe six inches deep. And, and dad's goal was to put a really bright light inside the bottom of this sheet metal box. And then that way at nighttime, the light would shine up and out through and, and show this picture of a star. Now, in theory, this was a very great idea. The only problem was when dad picked up the box from the shop and brought it home, well, it weighed about 200 pounds. This metal box was so heavy, there was no possible way that this sucker was ever going to be hung on the side of our garage. Well, just like every other red-blooded American man who is unwilling to admit his defeat, my dad took this light box and he sat it on our driveway and leaned it up against the garage, and there the star shined. It was the most spectacular ground star in all of Carroll County, Maryland, and it is a star that we still laugh about to this day. Well, believers, over the next few Sundays, as we march toward Christmas Day, you and I are going to open our Bibles, and we're going to examine some of the incredible texts in the Word of God that describe the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world. You know, family, how many of us are so conditioned to associate Christmas with lights? Lights on our trees, and lights on our windows, and lights on our houses. But have we forgotten what all these lights are supposed to represent? Have we forgotten that all of these lights are supposed to remind us about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world? Well, friends, what does that phrase really mean anyway? Well, over the next three Sundays, we're going to look together at some fascinating scriptures from God's Word. Scriptures written by the authors of the Gospels, and we're going to see some words spoken by even Jesus himself as he identifies himself as the light of the world. 
And family, my prayer for all of us is that over the next three Sundays, you and I will be stirred up with a, a fresh appreciation and, and a renewed rejoicing in the true identity of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. So family, let's open our Bibles now to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 in this message that I've entitled, The Light That Shines in Darkness. Now friends, just to give us a little context here, when we come to the Gospel of John, it's important to recognize that this particular Gospel is very unique when compared to the other three Gospels that appear in the New Testament. You see, Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, they both begin their Gospels with accounts of Jesus' lineage, uh, the accounts of Jesus' birth. Mark is also a little different. Mark jumps right in with the preaching of John the Baptist, and then immediately he gets into the action of the works and ministry of Jesus. But John, the Gospel of John, is very different. John does something altogether different with the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning of John's gospel, he takes us back to the beginning. And not just the beginning, but the beginning of the beginnings, going all the way back to eternity past, where Jesus existed as the Word. Family, in the opening verses of John's gospel, we get this really amazing section of scripture that theologians like to call the prologue. The prologue. And John starts with this special prologue because he wants all of his readers to understand right from the beginning of this gospel that this person, Jesus, that he's going to write about, Jesus is so much more than just another human being. He's so much more than some average teacher or even some moral example. John is going to show us that Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. And in fact, John will show us that Jesus is the one that you and I should believe in. We should put our trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. Well, family, we're going to come this morning to the the first five verses of John's prologue. What astounding facts do we uncover here about the identity of Jesus? What essential truths does John want you and I as his readers to understand about Jesus and his true identity? What is John going to teach us about Jesus, this one who is the true light coming into the world? Well, family, let's talk today about these five astounding realities about Jesus' true identity. Five astounding realities about Jesus' true identity. Here's the first one. Number one, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Look at John chapter 1 with me, beginning in verse 1. John writes, In the beginning was the Word. Now, family, here in the opening verses of John's prologue, you and I are about to dive in to some of the deepest, some of the most theologically profound verses on Jesus that can be found anywhere else in the New Testament. These verses we're going to look at this morning are so dense. They are so rich. They are so theologically weighty that even the best Bible scholars in the world have to honestly admit that even they cannot fully comprehend or even plumb the depths of what has been written here in John 1. And yet, family, even though these thoughts and these verses are so deep, and even though they're so profound, 
They are given to us. They're given to us to read and to study and to be encouraged by. Now notice how verse 1 opens with that initial phrase, in the beginning was the Word. Now friends, that ought to sound a little familiar to you, that little phrase, in the beginning. That sounds a lot to me like the very beginning of the Bible. The very first verse of Genesis In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's this kind of creation, origin kind of language that John uses in the very first verse. And he's doing this purposefully because John wants you and I, his readers, to understand something about Jesus. That what we need to really understand about Jesus is not just his crucifixion, not just his baptism, and not even his birth. John's going to point us all the way to Jesus' eternal existence, his existence in eternity past. Now, before we make any more statements about Jesus' eternity, let's just take a moment here to think about this special title that John gives to Jesus. Did you see that special title? The Word. The Word. Now, what does that mean? What does that title actually mean? Why is that title significant? Well, family, the original term that John used here is this Greek word logos. L-O-G-O-S. Logos. That's, that's a Greek term that means word or expression. Now, in ancient times, this word logos was used by philosophers. Greek philosophers used this word when they were trying to describe this this impersonal force, this reality that's out there somewhere, maybe it's reason or wisdom or power of some kind, that they believed created the universe. That everything we see and everything we can understand must have come from something. The ancient philosophers attributed the creation of everything to this logos, this force, this power, this reason, this whatever it was that made everything. But for the Jewish thinker, for the Hebrew thinker, this this word logos had a little bit of a different idea. For, For Jewish people, for Hebrew thinkers, this word had the idea of someone who makes themselves known. This word has the idea of a self-disclosure, making oneself known. Now we know, don't we, right from the beginning verses of Genesis, we know what that God spoke His words. God spoke His words, and what happened? The universe came into existence. And this universe tells us a great deal about God. Look around this universe, and you find out about God. You find out that God is powerful. He is mighty. He's majestic. He's divine. He's eternal. He's the one who has enough power in himself, in his own self-existence, to to make everything that is. So family, not only does God's verbal word reveal something about himself, but also his written word reveals much about God. His revelation of his written word. In the written word of God, we also find God's revelation. His self-expression. Him communicating to us truth about who He is. In the Word of God, we have God revealed and God made known. Well, family, that's the background you need to have in your brain. That's the understanding you need to have 
so that you can come to understand what John the Gospel writer does, is that John takes that word logos and he now invests it with a Christian meaning. A Christian meaning showing us that the true word is Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll just look down a few verses in this same chapter, get to verse 14. Verse 14, John writes that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, who is that? It's Jesus. He's the Word. Jesus is the perfect expression of God to all mankind. When Jesus came to earth, his life and his ministry revealed to human beings exactly what God wanted to communicate. That's why in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says in the very first verse, I gave this verse to you in your notes this morning. Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Look in your notes, friends. I gave you a quote from one of my favorite Christian writers of all time, the late A.W. Pink. Pink wrote, How fully has Christ revealed God? He, Christ, He displayed His power. He manifested His wisdom. He exhibited His holiness. He made known His grace. He unveiled His heart in Christ. And in nowhere else is God fully and finally told out. That's right. So friends, when we get back to our text here in John 1, 1, when John tells us in the beginning was the word, John wants us to understand long before the planets, long before the stars, long before the universe, long before time itself, Jesus existed eternally as the word. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Colossians 1.17, speaking about Jesus, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So believers, listen, when you drive past a nativity scene this week, when you see the little infant Jesus displayed there in the manger, I want you to stop and remember this first truth, that while that baby in the manger, while that was Jesus' incarnation, that was not His beginning. Because the Bible says Jesus is the Word. He's the Word from all eternity. Now, let's move on. Can I show you a second fact here that John reveals in his prologue? A second amazing truth about Jesus. Number two, Jesus is a distinct person. Number two, Jesus is a distinct person. Look again at John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, Christian friends, this next phrase that we're considering, with God, this is very, very important. And it all comes down to that little preposition, with. With. Maybe you want to underline that in your own Bible. Now, that seems to be such a small little word, the word with. But that little preposition used by John carries a ton of weight on its back. In fact, that little preposition with actually tells us two very important things. 
First of all, that little preposition with tells us that there is a distinction to be made between God the Father and Jesus the Son. So in other words, friends, even though God the Father and Jesus the Son both existed in eternity, even though they share the same divine essence, they are not the exact same person. God the Father is a distinct person in the Godhead, and Jesus Christ the Son is a distinct person in the Godhead. Yet they are both eternally equal, and they are both equally God. Now some of you are already saying, whoa, I can see some of the smoke starting to come out of your ears, and you say, whoa, Pastor, that, that is some really mind-bending truth. And guess what? You'd be right. You'd be right to say that. The Bible's truth, the Bible's teaching that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are one in essence, yet still existing in three co-eternal, co-equal uh, co persons. That is some of the deepest, hardest, most mysterious truth in all of Christian doctrine. It's hard for our human brains to wrap our minds fully around this concept of the divine oneness that exists between God and Jesus and the Spirit, and yet they each maintain their own distinct personhood. Now, down through the centuries, many different theologians have tried to teach various ways and communicate this great truth. One of the great theologians of old, his name was Augustine. Augustine liked using nature, uh, nature illustrations and uh, in order to teach this truth about God and Jesus and how they're distinct from one another, but yet they are also the same in their oneness, in their essence. Uh, Augustine liked to use illustrations like the sun. He also used an illustration of the campfire. Let me give these to you. When you consider the sun, it's impossible to separate the sun from the sun's rays. You cannot separate the sun from its rays. You cannot have one without the other. And yet, isn't it true, the sun is not the rays. And the rays are not the sun. There's a distinction there, but they are equal. And the same is true with a campfire. Every time you sit before a campfire, you are sitting before a union of fire and light. Fire is not the same thing as light. Yet where there is fire, there is always light. They are inseparable. Now listen, we could, we could come up with a dozen more illustrations taken out of nature, but think about it. Ultimately, no matter what kind of illustrations or examples we might try to pluck from nature, ultimately those illustrations all come up short eventually. Because there's nothing that you and I can point to in this temporal, physical universe that's adequately going to describe this awesome, eternal, almighty, immaterial, infinite God. But family, I told you there's two things. Two things that come forward with this little preposition. This little preposition with also indicates to us that there was a sweet fellowship between God the Father and Jesus the Son in eternity past. There was a delightful relationship that existed between the Father and the Son in eternity past. How many of you spouses 
have looked to your spouse and you've looked into his or her eyes and you've said, I just love to be with you. What does that word with mean in that sentence? I just love to be with you. It's relational. The with is pointing to that relational, that connection, this deep, abiding, beautiful relationship. So while God the Father and Jesus had their own distinct personhood, the Bible says there also existed between them in eternity past this beautiful relationship, this relationship of mutual love and mutual fulfillment that existed in the Godhead in eternity past. So believers, take a moment here this morning. And take it all in. The wonder of Christ. The the majesty. The mysteriousness. The transcendent Jesus Christ. So many people today, they drive by, they see the little plastic baby in the junky manger. I'm ready for New Year. They're not impressed with what they see. Yet friends, when we slow down to see what John has written here, We ought to be more than impressed. We ought to be blown away. I mean, our our mouths ought to hang open in awe at what we're reading here. I love what the great theologian J.C. Ryle had to say. I gave you this quote in your notes. Where God the Father was from all eternity, there also was the Word, even the Son. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal, and yet their Godhead one. This is a great mystery. Happy is he who can receive it as a little child without attempting to explain it. Now let's move on, okay? I'm going to show you a third truth here that John reveals to us about Jesus, the Word. Here's number three. Jesus is truly God. Number three, Jesus is truly God. Look again in our text, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 2. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now friends, just before we look at this third phrase that John writes, let me take just a quick little audience survey here. Let me ask, how many of you have ever had some Jehovah's Witnesses show up at your front door and try to talk to you. Raise your hand if you've come into contact. Yes, look around. Look at all those hands. Wow. Maybe we need to talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses about how to do outreach because, boy, they do it well. They get out there. How many of you have ever had the opportunity of of not just dismissing them right away, but how many of you have ever had the opportunity of, of talking for at least five minutes with the Jehovah's Witness? Can I see your hands? Very good. Now, if you ever have that opportunity going forward, one of the things that you will want to discuss with a Jehovah's Witness is the identity of Jesus. Because Jehovah's Witnesses, their official position, their official teaching on Jesus is that He is not divine. That He is not deity. They teach that Jesus was not God, but they teach that He was the highest created being. And interestingly enough, friends, the verse that the Jehovah's Witnesses use to support their teaching that Jesus was the highest created being and not truly divine, the verse they will point you to is John 1.1. 1, 1. 
So let's look at it again. What does John say about Jesus? The Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now that seems airtight. I mean, that seems open and shut. Based on that third phrase, Christians down through the ages have always asserted that Jesus is God. Jesus is God, capital G-O-D. Jesus is capital G, God. But Jehovah's Witnesses translate this phrase we're looking at differently. They translate it like this. The word was a God, lowercase g-o-d. They want to translate it as the word was a God. Now, how do they get that? Well, I'll explain it to you. It's not hard to understand. In the original Greek, in Koine Greek, it is possible, it's permissible, under the rules of Greek grammar, to supply the indefinite article a when no article appears in the Greek text. So in other words, if you're writing, studying Greek, the word tree, tree, could legitimately be translated as a tree. Or the word lake. In Greek, you could very legitimately translate the word lake as a lake. And so that's what they do here. That's what they want to do with Jesus. They say that Jesus isn't God, capital G-O-D. They say Jesus is a God. That the word was a God, lowercase g-o-d. Now, for sure, they still want Jesus to have some heavenliness. But what they're actually doing is they're stripping away the deity of Jesus Now, the problem with their mistranslation family is not only does that fly in the face of the very context of this passage, but it goes contrary to the rest of the teaching of the New Testament, which affirms over and over and over and over again that Jesus isn't a a God, lowercase g. No, Jesus is truly God, capital G-O-D. You might remember that ancient creed, that Christians used to recite. It's still spoken today by many churches. Many churches incorporate this creed. It's called the Nicene Creed. Many churches still recite this creed in their churches today. The ancient Nicene Creed called Jesus Christ, very God of very God. You know, this is the point at which Jesus really got in hot water with the religious leaders of his day. Remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus said to the religious leaders, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was claiming to be God. Not a God, but the God, the one and only God. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 tells us that even though Jesus came as a humble man, taking on flesh in his incarnation, he still possessed deity. He possessed the form of The form of God. That is the exact divine nature of God. So Christians, I want you to stay with me, okay? Just in the first three phrases of the Gospel of John, you and I are reading some of the richest, deepest, and most explicit doctrine that could ever be taught on the Trinity. Jesus Christ, the Word, He is eternal. Jesus Christ, the Word, is distinct as a person from God the Father, but yet He is in a blessed relationship with the Father. And Jesus Christ, the Word, is 
God. Now, lest someone choke on that, lest they have some trouble getting that down, they're not believing what they're hearing, John says it again. He restates it again in verse 2 when he says that Jesus, the Word, was in the beginning with God. Dear friends, if Jesus isn't God, the rest of this gospel is a fraud, and you believed a lie. One Bible scholar said it like this, John intends that the whole of his gospel shall be read in light of this verse. The deeds and words of Jesus are the deeds and words of God. And if this be not true, this book is blasphemous. That's a great statement. But family, we know the truth. Praise be to God. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God. He is the divine word. He is the sovereign son who came in the manger at Christmas. And because of that, our salvation is secure and our faith holds fast. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. John's given us some great revelation so far, but there's a fourth truth here about Jesus. Number four, Jesus is the creator of all things. Number four, Jesus is the creator of all things. Verse three, John continues, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Family, a wise man once said that the hardest and the most profound questions of all are those that start with the words how and why. Two of the hardest questions that philosophers have wrestled with for ages are these two questions. How did we get here? And why is there something rather than nothing? Now, of course, the answer to those two important questions will differ greatly depending upon one's personal worldview. Now, for the secularist, for that naturalist, that evolutionist, well, their answer is that everything came from a Big Bang. When by random chance mixed with time, there was this infinitesimal singularity that exploded and everything came into existence. And then over millions and millions of years, of course, it just morphed and morphed through millions of years of evolution and bingo, here you are. But for the Christian, for the Christian who holds to the biblical worldview, we do not believe that the universe came into uh, came into existence by chance or by an explosion, but rather by the well-planned, highly executed, creative design of God Himself. God Almighty is the original first cause. He's the one who spoke and by which all things were created. You know, friends, so often when we start talking about creation, we talk about God the Father. We open Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We automatically think about God the Father. And of course, that's good theology. But here in John chapter 1, we also learn that Jesus Christ, the Word, He is deity and He too was an agent involved in creation. Look at verse 3. John says it explicitly. Look at it. Not just some things. Now, Jesus helped out with some things. No, John says all things. All things were made through Him and without Him. Look at this little explanation phrase. And without Him, 
Nothing was made that was made. So in other words, if there's anything in this universe that's made, Jesus made it. If there's anything in this universe that's made, Jesus was there as the agent of creation when it was made. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 is in your notes. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed as the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Colossians 1.16 says this as well, For by Him, speaking about Jesus, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So believers, look, here's another powerful phrase that shuts the mouths of those who want to say that Jesus is a created being. Jesus was not part of God's original creation. Jesus is the creator. He's the originator. He's the eternal God. He's the one who joined with God the Father and God the Spirit in bringing the universe and everything in it into existence. So listen, when you open a Christmas card this week, when you drive by a Christmas display, when you see Joseph and you see Mary huddled around that wooden manger filled up with hay, cradling that infant Jesus, I want you to remember this. Jesus, the eternal Word, formed the trees that would become His own manger. Jesus formed the trees that would be His manger. Jesus created the hay that would cradle Him in that feeding box. It is mind-boggling when you think that Jesus entered this world with such humility, and yet it was this world that Jesus created with such infinite power. Now, let's look, family, one final fact today that John's going to show us about Jesus. Number five, Jesus is the source of all life and light. Number five, Jesus is the source of all life and light. Verse four, John continues, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, friends, you stay with me, okay? Because what we just read follows very logically from what John had just written in verse 3. Think about this now. If John, excuse me, if Jesus, if Jesus is the eternal God who existed eternally and then originated creation, then it only stands to reason then that in Jesus is life. In Jesus is life. In other words, Jesus did not derive His life from anything else in the universe. Rather, everything else in the universe derives its life from Him. He is life. He is the life giver. He is the fountain of all life. Not only physically speaking, but yeah, even spiritually speaking too. Family, isn't it so interesting when Jesus was here on planet Earth? Time and again, Jesus spoke of himself as a giver of life. John 14, 6, remember this in the upper room? 
Jesus speaking to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the, what's the next phrase? The life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 11, Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. But notice, did you see, John says this too. Not only is Jesus the source of all life, he's also the source of all light. Now, in the Bible, light is commonly used to portray illumination. A spiritual illumination. In other words, the opening of dark eyes. The opening of the darkness of understanding. When the Bible talks so often about light, it's this metaphor of, of, of coming out of the darkness, coming out of the ignorance of sin. You know, one of our favorite verses that we always read every year at Christmas time is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2. You remember this text? It's in your notes. Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Family, is it any wonder then when Jesus, if Jesus is the light of the world, and Scripture says that this light is coming, is it any wonder then? Should we not be surprised then when Jesus is born and He lays there in a Bethlehem stable that God Almighty puts a supernatural light in the heavens? That's because Jesus is the light of this world. Jesus is the light, the light that leads to spiritual and eternal life. It shouldn't surprise us then that when Jesus begins His public ministry, He says it to the people like He did in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Or even in John 9, after healing the blind man who had spent a lifetime in darkness, Jesus says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Family, those are two amazing passages that we're going to come back to over the next two Sundays. But here in verse 5, John writes that Jesus came as the light, shining in the darkness. Here was this world, our world, boiling over with evil and sin and corruption and wickedness. And even all that darkness was not able to comprehend or even overcome the light of Jesus. Dr. John MacArthur says this, just as one single candle can overcome a room filled with darkness, so also the powers of darkness are overcome by the person and work of the Son through His death on the cross. Dear listener, can I just pause right now? Right now, dear listener, and ask you this morning, has your heart been opened to the light of Christ? Has your heart been opened to the light of Christ? Or are you still residing in spiritual darkness? The Bible says the true light has come. Jesus came. as the light of the world. He came to take away our sin, to take away our ignorance, to take away our blindness, our darkness. Friend, I'm asking you today, can you say that Jesus Christ is your life? Can you say that you have life? of physical and spiritual life in Jesus. Is Jesus your light? Oh, friend, if God is speaking to your heart today about the needs of your soul, I just would urge you today to bow your head in prayer, even now, and confess your sin, confess your brokenness to God. 
Repent over your sins and by faith reach out and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus makes you a great promise in John chapter 6 for all those who would believe on Jesus to, to receive Him as the light of this world. Jesus says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Family, as we draw to a close, there's still more to uncover. There's more to be said on Jesus, the light of the world. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at two more incredible passages that really pull back the curtain on Jesus' unique identity and this mission of His to bring God's light, the light of salvation, into this dark world. But friends, for today, I hope that you'll leave this place filled with awe. I hope you'll leave this place today filled with appreciation for the awesome majesty, the glory of Jesus Christ. He is much more than the baby in the manger. John tells us he's Jesus Christ, the Word, the second person of the eternal trinity. Jesus is a distinct person. He's in this joyful relationship with God since eternity past. Jesus is also very God, a very God. And He is the originator. He is the architect of all creation. And He is the one who is the life and the light of men. Now, Christians, what significance should you take from this message for your own life? Well, friends, by way of application, you ought to first of all leave here today understanding that the way to know more about God is to know more about Jesus. The best way to know God better is to study Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He's the fullest, deepest, most perfect revelation of God Himself. The more you study Christ, the more you will know God. The more you know Jesus in His person, His character, and His works, the more you will come to know God. But then secondly, Christian, by way of application, you should take all these biblical insights, all these truths we've talked about today, and you should use them to stoke up the fire of your worship and your gratitude for the Lord Jesus this Christmas. This holiday is approaching, so I will ask you, will you be thankful for Jesus and to Jesus for what He's done for you? Will you express throughout this calendar month, will you express your worship to the Lord Jesus, the one who has given to you, Christian, life and light through His gospel? Christian, as you depart these doors today, Go out into another week with your heart and mind fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Go out into your workplaces, to your schools, your homes, with hearts rejoicing and with lips celebrating the good news. Jesus has come. He is the light that shines in the darkness. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here 
on Preaching for a Change.